when so much is happening around us in the world, so much that concerns us and disturbs us, so much that is out of our control, and how much we need to hear your word imparted to us through your spirit, so that as we look at the scriptures and look through the scriptures and see who you are, we might draw courage and comfort and hope and endurance and peace in your grace so that we might, first of all, be comforted ourselves and then be instruments of your grace and your comfort and peace in a world that desperately needs it, O oh God. And so, Lord, even this evening as we take up your word, we pray that you would minister it to us through your spirit. Because without the spirit of God, we cannot comprehend the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. So help us, Lord, at this time. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you're looking at a series, uh, and I like the title of this series, What Would Jesus Undo? It's an interesting title as compared to What Would Jesus Do? And I know over the last few weeks you have uh, looked at a few different things that Jesus would undo uh, from your lives. Things like indifference, hollow worship, hypocrisy. Those are some of the things that you've looked at that Christ would undo. This evening, we want to look at what uh, spiritual pride as something that the Lord Jesus would undo in our lives. You know, there's a Mongolian story of a frog and two geese. It's a story. It's just a made-up one. And the two geese were about to begin their annual migration southward. You know, they were getting away from the winter. They wanted to get down southward. And the frog said to them, can I go with you? Now the geese were willing to take the frog if only they had a way to take him, to carry this frog. And the frog, being as smart as he was, he said to the geese, he said, I have a plan. He says, why don't you hold a stick between your beaks and then I will hold the stick in the middle with my mouth and then we can fly off and get away from this place. Now the geese thought it was a great idea and so they agreed with the, the frog and they got a hold of a stick and the frog got a hold of it with its mouth in the middle and the geese took off with the frog hanging by that stick. And you can imagine the sight that it was because everybody down was watching this, these geese and, these frog, and the frog as they, they, they flew across. And someone mentioned, saying, I wonder who came up with that. And the frog heard it. And as soon as he heard it, his pride filled his heart and he says, I did. And when he opened his mouth, he dropped to the earth. And I like that story because it's a story that, that uh, connects well with a proverb that you've probably heard of in the scriptures, Proverbs 16, verse 18. And it says very clearly, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a, a fall. You see, spiritual pride, which is what we're talking about this evening, is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing in our lives. And the Lord Jesus, by his grace, is undoing pride in our lives. Now what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to uh, look at the parable that Jesus tells us from verse 9 through to verse 
14. All right, so I'm not going to read the passage to you, but I'm going to take you through uh, the passage and the, and the story that Jesus tells us over here. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through to verse 14. Now, this particular parable was, uh, it tells us in, in verse 9, it says that it tells us the people that Jesus was addressing through this parable. And it says this in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so that's the audience that Jesus is speaking to. And it immediately tells us two characteristics of pride that you can observe just from these two, this, this one verse that we have. The first thing that you observe or the first characteristic of pride is that a spiritually proud person trusts in themselves. They trust in themselves. They have a confidence in themselves. They see their own goodness and their own righteousness. And this kind of self-confidence is boastful, and you'll see more of it in the parable that we'll look at in a moment. But the second characteristic of spiritual pride is that this kind of a person looks down on everyone else. They have contempt for other people because no one matches up to them. No one matches up to them. They see themselves as better than everyone else. Now let's get into the details of the parable and see why spiritual pride is something that Jesus is undoing in your life because it's a dangerous thing in your life. And so the parable picks it up uh, from verse 10 onwards and it tells us of two men who went up into the temple in Jerusalem to pray. The first man was a Pharisee and the second man was a tax collector. Now, if you don't know about a Pharisee, a Pharisee was basically a religious leader in the Jewish community, a bit like maybe a pastor or a priest or something like that, right? And so he was a religious leader in the Jewish community. And they were a learned people because they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew scriptures or our Old Testament. They knew it completely through and through. They were respected and looked up to in society. They, the way they dressed, their elaborate public prayers, their public displays of piety elevated them to a very high position in society. And people looked up to them and even wanted to be like the Pharisee. On the other hand, you had the tax collector. He was probably one of the most hated people in Jewish community. Because the tax collector was a Jewish man who was the employee of the Roman Empire. And he used to collect taxes from his own brothers, the Jews, that would go into the coffers of the Caesar himself. And so these men were considered traitors. And if that wasn't bad enough, many of them used their position to become rich through bribes. And so the people despised tax collectors. In fact, many times in the Gospels, when you see, uh, when, when tax collectors are mentioned, it's usually mentioned in the same breath with sinners, tax collectors and sinners. I, maybe you remember that, right? And so they, they were despised. And so you had these two people that came into the temple to pray, and Jesus is going to contrast them and make a point about spiritual pride. Now in verses 11 and 12, it tells us about the Pharisee. 
The Pharisee was, was the first one Jesus speaks about, and he enters the temple. And I want you to observe a few things about the Pharisee and the way he conducts himself, and you'll, you'll get a sense of spiritual pride from this, right? First of all, it says that this, the Pharisee stood apart from everyone. And it says over there, see, it says the Pharisee standing by himself. That's the proper way to understand it because a little bit later he'll tell us about the tax collector who was standing far off and so there's an emphasis on the way the Pharisee positioned himself in the community, in the temple. He took up the front place away from everybody else and when he did that what he was communicating was I'm better than everybody else. No one deserves to be in this place that I am in, and he was elevating himself. You see, spiritual pride is self-exaltation, self-exaltation, where you elevate yourself above other people. But the second thing that I want you to notice about the Pharisee is his prayer. Notice how he prays, and, and I'll read this for you. And he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Poor chap, the tax collector, far away. He said, I'm even thankful I'm not like him. And I want you to notice the second thing about spiritual pride is that it, is, it leads a person to treat other people with contempt, to put other people down. That's what a, a spiritually proud person does. A.W. Tozer a well-known Christian writer, he says this. He says, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. But a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. And I think he says that really well. And that's what the Pharisee was doing. He's hard on others. He says, I'm grateful that I'm not like all these sinful people. He elevates himself by putting other people down. Again, you have that idea of self-exaltation. Thirdly, I want you to notice something in the Pharisee's prayer. And you can see this in verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And I love this because these are very, very these are wonderful spiritual practices, and I'm sure many of you practice it, you know, fasting and tithing. These are good spiritual practices of the Christian life, and Scripture commends them to you. But the Pharisee takes these good practices, and he uses them for his own gain. He uses them for his own gain. Think about um, fasting, for instance. Fasting is a way we express our total dependence on God. Remember what Jesus says, right? When he's fasting in the wilderness and Satan comes to tempt him, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's an expression of total and complete dependence on God. That's what fasting is meant to be. However, a spiritually proud person will use fasting as a display of their own righteousness. Look at me. Look at how good I am. I'm fasting. And they'll let everybody know about it and not as an act of dependence on God. Or take tithing as an example. Again, another excellent spiritual practice because through tithing, we express worship for God. 
We worship God and not money. That's what we're saying through tithing. Or through tithing, we're saying that money doesn't secure us. God secures us. But a spiritually proud person tithes as a display of their self-sufficiency, not as an act of dependence on God. And so they will show off how much they tithe. They'd love for you to know how much they give because it's an act of of self-sufficiency. Look at how I'm doing all this for you and for the church. Fourthly, from verse 12, you can observe how a spiritually proud person loves to boast about all that they do for God. Notice that, right? That's what he's saying. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get as if God should bow down before them and say, thank you so much. We needed it. That's what a person is is doing and even expecting from God in that sense, as if God should somehow be indebted to them. And finally, I want you to observe about the Pharisee. Notice how long his prayer is as compared to the tax collector. So the Pharisee's prayer goes, goes like this. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Pretty long prayer, right? Now look at the tax collector's prayer, and you've got you to contrast these. And this is what the tax collector prays. He comes into the presence of God, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all. That's all his prayer is. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, Remember the Lord's Prayer. We'll say that in a moment, in a few minutes. Before he comes to the Lord's Prayer, he warns us a few things about prayer. And he says, when you pray, in Matthew 6, 5 and verse 7, you can read that at some point. He says, don't pray to impress people and don't pray to impress God. Don't pray to impress people. Don't pray to impress God. Rather, your prayer should be in secret and with simple words. Pray in secret and with simple words. You see, spiritually proud people love to draw attention to themselves. And Jesus speaks about the Pharisees, how they love to stand at the corners of the street and pray these elaborate prayers, and everybody pays attention to them in that sense. And he talks about that. I want to look at the tax collector in contrast over here. Come to verse 13. And let me read these verses to you. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I want to observe a few things about the tax collector over here in contrast to the Pharisee. First of all, I want you to notice that he stood far off. He stood far off, meaning that he did not even see himself worthy to come into the presence of God, let alone go up anywhere close to the altar because he saw himself as unworthy before God. And so the, his, the, the, the understanding that he had or a spiritually humble person understands that they come into God's presence purely because of, of the grace of God, not because of their own goodness. Secondly, Notice that the tax collector would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. And that's an idiom in the Greek. And it's it's another way of talking about prayer. In other words, the tax collector 
could not even bring himself to pray. He could not even bring himself to pray. Notice that his prayer was brief, like those five or six words. That was all his prayer was in the presence of God. It wasn't a long-winded prayer. He wasn't using prayer as a means to impress God or other people. But he saw prayer as a means of God's grace in his life. That's what it was. Prayer was a means of God's grace in his life. Not a way to impress God. Thirdly, I want you to observe over here what it says about him. It says that he beat his breast and then he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I like that picture because it's a picture of mourning. It's a picture of grief. And when you come to the scriptures and you read in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And what he's talking about over there is that mourning, that grieving over sin. It's a picture of repentance is what it is. And so here you have this, this uh, tax collector in a position and a posture of repentance before God. And he's beating his breast saying, be merciful to me a sinner. Fourthly, he didn't compare himself to anyone. Unlike the Pharisee, he didn't compare himself to anyone. It was just him and God. And that's all he was concerned about in, in that sense. His spiritual life was not a spiritual competition of any sort. It was about him and God. And the fruit of that will have an effect on other people, but it was about him and God in that moment. It wasn't a competition of any sort. And then finally, he didn't talk about his accomplishments at all, unlike the Pharisee, right? Not a word about his accomplishments or his own righteousness. He simply asked God for mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, spiritually humble people receive God's favor as an act of his mercy and not as a result of their righteousness. Let me say that again. Spiritually humble people receive God's favor as an act of his mercy and not as a result of their righteousness. They understand that their righteousness can never meet God's holy standards. They understand that. Now you come to verse 14 and the Lord Jesus tells us the point of this parable. And here's what he says in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified, meaning that he was declared righteous before God rather than the other. The tax collector, not the religious person, not the one who talked about fasting and tithing and all that he does, the tax collector, the most hated man in the Jewish community, was the one who went back home justified before God. Unexpected, is it? isn't it? And you've got to ask the question. You've got to say, why? why? How is that even possible? And then Jesus gives us the answer. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the answer. That everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, to understand what the Lord Jesus means, I want to take you to another tax collector in Luke. 
And this one is Levi, who's a tax collector. His name is also Matthew. He's a writer of, of, the, uh, of the gospel according to Matthew. And so you have Levi in Luke chapter 5, and you can maybe write the reference down, verses 27 to 32. And you have Levi, this tax collector, whom Jesus comes to. And Jesus says to Levi, Levi, follow me. And Levi immediately leaves everything that he's doing, and it tells us that he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on one particular day, Levi threw a big party, a grand feast, and he invited all his tax collector friends to that feast. And Jesus was there. And so were the Pharisees. And it tells us that the Pharisees were really annoyed with Jesus, and they said, how could you possibly hang out with tax collectors and sinners? And I love Jesus' response over there because it explains a lot of what our passage is about. And he, here's what he says uh, to the Pharisees. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician or a doctor. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, my wife and I, we, we do a lot of counseling you know, as part of ministry, you know, and so we meet with different people. And one of the things that we've learned in counseling is that unless the counselee sees their need and their need for help, they cannot be helped. They cannot be helped. It's impossible to help them unless they understand that they have a problem and that they need help. And that's probably true for lots of other things as well. Unless you see your need for help, you cannot be helped. In spiritual terms, what Jesus is saying over here is that unless you recognize your need for God, you cannot be helped by God. Unless you recognize your need for God. It is spiritual pride or self-righteousness that keeps us from recognizing our need for God. When we are so full of ourselves, so proud of who we are, that we feel like we can manage. We can manage. That somehow when I go into God's presence, I'm there because of me. I don't really need God. You can never receive God's grace in your life. And that's why spiritual pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because you then will be judged on your own merit and not on Christ's merit. You will be judged on your own merit and not on Christ's merit. And if you think your merit has anything of any value, listen to what Romans, for instance, says. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not, there's no exception to that. And we've all come short of the glory of God. And there is nothing that we can do to get back into that righteous standing before God in and of ourselves. We can't do it. That's why the Apostle Paul was quick to cast aside spiritual pride and all of his accomplishments. He says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, uh, he talks about, you know, he I'm a good man. I'm a good man. And then he says, 
He says, but, in, and you can see this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Let me read these verses to you. He says, but whatever gain I had, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and listen to this part, right? And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I don't want my own righteousness. First of all, it will never be God's righteousness. And even if it was, Christ is of far greater value to me. Christ is of far greater value to me. Because I want to glorify him. It's about him. It's about his glory. Look at the cross. Look at the message of the gospel. Look at the love of God. Look at the grace of God. Those are irresistible things in the gospel. And Paul says, I want that more. It's not about me. It's not for me. Spiritual pride or self-righteousness is dangerous because it takes you away from God's grace that is available through Christ. It takes you away from that. And no one can be saved apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to ask a question in closing over here because we're talking about you know, how Jesus would undo spiritual pride. And so you've got to ask a question and say, well, how does Christ then undo spiritual pride in my life? How does he do that? He does it by undoing pride itself in your life. That's how he does it. He does it by undoing pride in your life. You see, he will take you through all kinds of situations in your life where you will come to realize that there are things that you cannot do in and of yourself. You cannot handle it. And it could be a financial situation. It could be a health issue. It could be a relationship problem, a work problem. It could be, a, it could be what's going on in the world. And you look at all of these things and you say, my goodness, I can't handle it. And it is in those circumstances that you begin to realize that you're not as big as you make yourself out to be. You know, when we're young, we stick our chest out and we feel like we can conquer the world. But even Alexander the Great died at 33. We're not as big as we think we are. And I'm reminded of, of Deuteronomy. I'm reading Deuteronomy these days. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, this is what is written. It says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. That's what God was doing. He was taking them through the wilderness to humble them. And then he says, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. Nobody likes that. But God did that to his people. It says over here, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger. And then he fed you manna in the wilderness, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
God sometimes takes us through difficult experiences in life. And I want to say this to you, those things are a means of God's grace. Because if God can take you through those things to deal with pride and spiritual pride, where you come to a place in your life and you recognize that you ought to wholly cast yourself on Christ and be dependent fully on him, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. And God does that sometimes in your life as a means of grace. And when we humble ourselves through those experiences, we open ourselves up to God's grace working in us. I want to read these three statements that I got from some of the notes that were shared with me for this, for this sermon. It says, when we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. When we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. But when we empty ourselves, we are in a perfect position to be filled by God's grace. And when we empty ourselves, we're in a perfect position to be used by God. To be used by God. Spiritual pride is a dangerous thing in your life. And one of the fearful things about spiritual pride is that it is possible that if we persist in it, God lets us be in our pride. And if we're in our pride, there is no way we come back to grace. But while you have the opportunity today, and God is speaking to you today, and he's calling you to humble yourself and cast yourself upon the mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ, do it in faith. Because when you do that, like the tax collector, you go home justified. You go home declared righteous before God. Let me pray for us as we close this message time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that your word would bear fruit in each of our lives as we've heard it this evening. There's lots of things that are vying for our affections and our attention, things that promise us so much in this world. And yet if we're wise and we listen to you, we'll understand that this world has very little to actually give us in that sense. But if we cast ourselves onto you in faith, then we have everything to gain. And so I pray that we would humble ourselves, Lord, in the hearing of your word and in the doing of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.